0: Welcome to I'm Absolutely
1: Fine, the podcast from the middle that looks at all the glamour and indignity of being a grown-up.
2: Hello everybody, I'm Annabelle and I'm absolutely fine, but today we are recording from our guest's very glamorous kitchen. So if you hear dishwashers, pipes, dogs... That's the joy of the home record. Um, and I just um, went to go to the loo, of course, because, you know, Pavlov in response to entering any new situational building is I have to pee. Walk into the park, immediately have to pee. Walk into a party, <laughs> immediately have to pee. Had to pee, went into the loo. And I spotted by the sink when I was about to wash my hands a bar of imperial leather.
3: I can't believe you're letting the cat out the <laughs> bag. Oh my god! I've got a, re- you know, well I haven't I've got a reputation. A I've reputation no, really hard. It's gone down the drain now. No, but it was such a good thing because it gave me
2: a real pang for my dead dad, who genuinely believed that imperial leather was the last word in glamour. And I think maybe it was those sort of late seventies, early eighties adverts they used to do for imperial leather, where it had a sort of blonde and a hairy chested bloke sitting in a sort of foaming jacuzzi thing. <laughs> Those. Anyway, so I'm exhausted. Anyway, i have now. I've been sent straight back into this sort of slight, sort of you know, daddy vortex. But <laughs> it was very nice and comforting to see a good old bar of imperial leather. And how does the sticker stay on to the end? Get smaller and smaller and smaller, and yet the sticker clings on for dear life, heroically. That's what I think about imperial leather. How are you, Emma?
1: <laughs> well, I'm absolutely fine, except. You shouted at me this morning. Or shouted? Because you are very tired, I'd like to say, <laughs> but also because I have been using the Jones Road What The Foundation, which you have been telling me to use for weeks. And I got very uppity about it. Yes, I gave it to you for your birthday. You said, <laughs> I don't
2: like foundation. You put it on. You said, oh, no, I don't like it. Oh, no, it's too much. No, I don't like anything about this. You
1: said. <laughs> okay, and now people are sort of practically asking me if I've had a facelift. Um, and we watched a Christmas movie the other day with Lindsay Lohan and my daughter was absolutely staggered that Lindsay Lohan was 12 years younger than me. So I feel like, you know, transformed. So there you go, what the Foundation Jones wrote, but also Annabelle's angry with me. Today's guest is the person who turned secondhand into vintage. She stunned New York in the nineties with her famous fanzine Cheap Date, which was a kind of antidote to the cynicism of commercial fashion. And she is often known as the queen of thrift. She has styled some of fashion's most enduring images and works closely with Oxfam to raise money and to raise awareness around sustainable fashion. I mean, she put hand into selfages for fuck's sake. Bay Garnet is the person to talk to right now when money is tight, fashion feels oppressive, and we want to stop contributing to the disposable fast fashion phenomenon that does none of us any good. We will be asking her for some tips on how to negotiate shopping for vintage, where to go, and what to look for, as well as her point of view on how to get
3: dressed. But first of all, Bay, how are you? I am absolutely fine. It's funny when you say that, because you're like, well, I don't know, <laughs> I am absolutely fine. Last night, actually, Tom, who I live with, who's my, I want to say husband, but we're not actually married, but the father of my children and blah, blah, blah. But he said... Yeah, I've got a feeling the dogs, I've got a feeling about the dogs. And he said, we just go over there and look. And I look behind the chaise long and my brand new, beautiful carpet, which is a, um, who is it? What's that? Sorry, now I've gone blank, 1950s. Oh, anyway, I, I look behind and the dog had shat everywhere and completely <sighs> ruined the carpet on my brand new carpet. So I am absolutely fine. And it's a superficial thing, but it really, really, really made me cross
2: yeah, it's funny when things like that happen and you just really, really
3: mind. I minded so much. Also, my dogs have a really nice life. And all <laughs> they need to do is not that. <laughs> also that is really, it. I did it. And I, yeah. I also
1: really like Tom saying, I've got a feeling about the dog. Thank you. As you a, just
3: thank you. Well, well, that's another podcast, Tom's Dog <laughs> okay. that's not a thrifting podcast. Is he a sensitive when it comes to your feelings? <laughs> <laughs> As I said.
2: <laughs> As I podcast. said. We're going to move on.
3: I So,
2: babe, so, it's the 90s. You're in your early
3: 20s. And you, why did you even go to New York? I went to New York because I felt very unconfident here. I felt kind of trapped by feeling I don't want to say like a loser because that's very like down on oneself but I felt like I didn't know what to do and I didn't know how to do it and I hadn't really made a success of things really and I felt like I was kind of surrounded by people who could who made things look very easy and I suppose in a way for me and then a friend of mine said there's an assistant job would you like I went to visit actually I'd go back, I went to visit New York and I was like, this is where I want to be. Yeah. So I knew of New York and I had got this sense of this is this is fun. This is where I want to be. And and so, you know, and then life moves on, but I always had that feeling of New York. Anyway, from I said there's a job and I went for the job a job interview and I got it. And so in a way I suppose it's a, it was a thing of like reinvention. Um and that doesn't mean changing my personality, because I think that's probably quite hard to do, but what it did mean was being somewhere completely new and that being a big relief.
2: I was watching um this documentary that's on the BBC at the moment it's on iPad called The Sensationalists, which is about the the YBAs. Okay. And oh, one of the reasons it it's so interesting is because it looks at the state of London. And the country in the 90s. Oh, in what, the 90s. Right. And what, what we forget is that it was you know, not a million miles from where we are now. Obviously, no Brexit, but there was a lot of homelessness. There was a lot of unemployment. People were losing their homes. They, you know, they took up residence in all these deserted warehouses. It was then in East London, which was you know, not yet sort of discovered. Yeah. You forget that London was a very dank, challenging place. Yeah. So it's interesting to hear you say that New York held
3: all that promise. It did. And also I think there's something in London and, and I, I would, you know, I don't know if this is true because I've never been i um, I've never been from the outside in lots of ways in London. But I feel like London is very much behind closed doors. You know, I think it feels like a hard place to access sometimes, whereas New York, you know, all the doors are open. I don't mean in any like, well, here's a job. I just mean in terms of its philosophy, its psychology, it feels it's an embracing place. In the 90s, it felt much more welcoming and it kind of energetic. And, and you felt you could be your, be yourself there
1: or at least sort of try try a new self on kind of thing.
3: Yeah, it wasn't really, I didn't, it wasn't a conscious thing if I wanted, it's only retrospectively that one can look back and figure out why one did certain things. But what I mean is I didn't know at the time I wanted to, it wasn't about changing someone else, it was just about being able to be me in a different place and was it a fashion assistant on a magazine no it was in an agency um a photographic agency and I was so bad at my job and I used to come in they used to have a stereo it was kind of trendy and all these photographers were there. I used to come in put on the rolling stones really loudly and I'd dance around the office and everyone was like you are literally if we didn't like you and you weren't so insane we would fire you <laughs> but and then and then I'd come in with all my thrift store finds and it's I'd come in with like little chubby fur little rabbit jackets and people would be like Look at you, you look you're so crazy what you're wearing actually now. It's so normal that yeah. kind of clothes. But it was funny, I remember coming and people were like, What have you got now? What have you got now? And it was like I was a bit like the court, the office jester, and I think that, you know, only because they were so kind of hardcore, it was the only way I knew how to survive myself in that kind of atmosphere because it was so, you know, American. <laughs> but at that
2: point, you <laughs> know, we didn't we didn't use the term vintage, it was secondhand and it was smelly. And you know, and only certain kind of eccentric people really bothered. I mean, how did you get the bug? And and then how
3: did you why did you decide to get behind
2: it in the way that you did?
3: Well I, I when I in my lunch break I there was an an amazing Salvation Army on spring and Lafayette. And I went there every day and it was amazing the stuff. It was like a little Salvation Army, so it was like a boutique. It wasn't one of those big warehouses, so the scale of it was amazing. And I look back and the things I got and there was the happiest moments going on my lunch break. And I made friends with everybody. And I got a gold sequin jacket there that Kate Moss, I, and she, she's got, but I used in the Vogue shoot with Kate Moss. I got all these amazing things there. And I think that, like, um, so it was a passion, That's what I can say. And, and it was just something that I was, I was good at it. And i would never really been good at anything that I, not really. Um, and I, I knew that I was good at it because i loved it so much so you know that's really why so i got behind it because it kind of got behind me you know yeah and so how how did um how did the cheap date the editorial side of all this come out? well the cheap date you know kira was doing we kind of cheap date was you know here and then i was there and i was like kira like there's loads of opportunity here to do something really good today. and kira so, like, was the founder of kira cheap date. yeah and we edited co-edited it here and i was like yeah there's loads of opportunities there's I'm not I didn't talk like that you know so I, I there were lots of <laughs> sorry. there were lots of ways that could be a good issue and then it just sort of started and I knew people I was going out a lot and 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 then Chloe and I remember Chloe seven you her brother had like a big crush on me you did Paul you did and then, yeah and he was like you know so I was like hey he was like well sir hey like what do you need like hey <laughs> I was like I really want Chloe to be the centrefold for Cheap Date and he was like okay okay like that and, and, and so kind of like I think that Paul I, Chloe loved Cheap Date as and well and she was like a big grunge and 90s she was like star a, yeah she was a big grunge 90s star and she'd done kids and she was like anyway and we, I went round to the and Paul once said to me and I did actually end up dating Paul for a long time but he said to me if you come on a date with me I will take you to Chloe's favourite thrift stores in Connecticut well, they grew up, so I was like... So a date okay. for Cheap Date. Yeah, so cheap, yeah, exactly, which I did a lot of that for Cheap Date. <laughs> Trust me, there was a lot of... I, you know, well, I'm not going to go into it, but, you know, it was fun anyway. But I think that, to, yeah, to cut long story short, I took Chloe Seveny's centrefold picture, which was so nice because she did a, big, a book with Rizzoli of her favourite pictures. And in the middle of her book is the Cheap Date picture, which That's was so nice. Yeah, it was a great picture because it was like literally a handheld camera you know, grainy, and it was... And so a lot of the stuff we would shoot and do in Harmony. So Harmony, Corinne, I took I met him at the Gramercy Park Hotel, and I took him, like, ten things, and he had to make up stories about them. So he'd be like, this was, like, horror... You know, like, make up stories about the clothes. And so it was all about secondhand clothes and them having stories and, and celebrating that. And then Anita Pallenberg interviewed Debbie Harry, and we did a cover shoot with Debbie Harry and Mick Rock. Um, so it was like this kind of punk tapping into a kind of a punk rock. And Marlon Richards was the art director. His, you know, he was very talented. He's a very talented art director. And his dad was Keith Rich- is Keith Richards, I should say. So it's kind of glamorous. glamorous. It attracted glamorous people. So I remember there was, we had one, we'd have these amazing parties where we never had a guest list on principle. If you knew about the party, you could come. You know, there were, like, real people who, like, like rock and roll, like, old-timers, and then Keith Richards was there, Giselle, Bun- that Giselle was there, I mean, Kate Moss, Liv Tyler, it was insane. And I remember, like, and then, I you know, people were like, how? Because it was saying that people want, you know, to get the VIPs and everything, it was because it's fun. Yeah. Because yeah. it's fun. So was it mostly about... Having a laugh and doing what you loved and it was having it was about that definitely, but it was also there was definitely like a i don't know you know political there was definitely a polit an antidotal element to it which was um a reaction to the mass marketing and the um kind of generic pushing stuff on people and the newness the newness and it was definitely a reaction it was definitely a reaction to that and just se- shop, secondhand shopping for me has always had that allure. Yeah, you know, I love it. To me it's like that going off grid. It's like, you no, know, I just do it myself, thanks. And I like giving money to it's not even and I love giving it to charity, but I also really like not giving it to people who have so much of it. And that money goes back into charging huge prices to people. Yeah. Um and creating the absolute kind of it predicated on creating desire
1: yeah a kind of hunger for for things that are new a must-have situation which makes people feel terrible about themselves right because they feel like somehow they're lacking because they don't have
3: it that's just that's not a way to make money right that's awful and charging so much money yeah. as well like the, the kind of the markup is is so much and it's and it's done with very very clever branding and Listen, to some extent, you know, I know that someone could say to me, well, you know, you're a hypocrite because I've done fashion shoes and I have, but I have always, always put secondhand clothes in my shoes. And I've always been who I am within this system. And, you know, I and so I don't actually, you know, what? I don't think people think about me for a second. So, you know, there is that as well.
2: Is it still possible to find good thrift stuff? Because
3: some of us also feel like we're now, we didn't get it early enough. So it's all been bought. No, it's not. No, that's not the case. I think it's harder, but no. I mean, also there are different platforms where you find that stuff. So, you know, now it's just more on the surface. So Vestia Collective or, you know, Lampoo or like, um, I mean, I don't have to, you know, eBay. Um, you know, so, which is brilliant, you know, so, y- you know, you can still find things and, you know, charity shops, you know, yeah. I mean, they, people say a lot to me Well the charity shops now full of, you know, last year's kind of, what's it? Whistles. Or, you know, no, like yes. kind of like high street, kind of, you know, cheap high street clothes. Um, I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> I, I don't know what to say, probably true, but you can still find great stuff and I do often and so you know no there's still it's still there. And what do you look for what
2: are kind of you know sensible things to to look for and to find I mean I I can say that you found me I I got it at your um, Oxfam secondhand boutique in Selfridges but it's the it's the best coat I've ever had and it's camel coloured 1970 CNA 70 quid. So good on you yeah
3: it's great it was perfect for
2: you um, it looked great. And I know that, that that will be with me, I hope, unless I lose it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why would you so want what me? sort of
3: things, how do people find their forever pieces in clever ways? I think that, you know, I think people really, you know, think about what you want. You know, I think it's really good to go with something in mind. So think, well, what do you want? You know, do you want a piece of cashmere? Do you want a great coat? Do you want a camel coat from the 70s? Or do you want a men's military jacket? I think the thing with secondhand, it's really good... You know, it's the same as probably when people go new shopping, it's really good to have something in mind. And then what usually happens I find is that, you know, you might have something in mind and you go in and that thing might that thing might not appear, but something else will appear. I I do believe in a kind of I do believe in a karmic thrifting energy. <laughs> I love <laughs> the idea that it'll find you, the peace yeah, will find I do, you. I do I do believe that. I think there is like a kind of um I do I do because I've had too many good experiences a divine thrifty. yeah gold. I remember going to a thrift store and I was like okay and I looked at it and I looked and I was like oh, hang on a minute I really want to find something today I really want to find something don't I know I'm not leaving here unless I find something so show yourself <laughs> I went around again and I found something really really good and it had been like in the thing. So I was like, that's thank you. you're clear thank about you your needs. Needs. I was clear. The universal. And I wanted to find something that day, and I did in that shop. Do you remember what it was? Yeah, it was a really good, like 90s APC denim jacket. Really faded, really, really good. Go with something in mind. Like, for example, I love men's oversized knitwear because that's what I like. So, you know, what do you want? you know i think it's good to what do, what do you need and 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 so i think that's really that half the battle is to go in with something that you want or you need and then you're engaged mm. otherwise it can be quite it's hard to sort of focus in a charity shop sometimes it's like meh, 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 meh. and then I, if you go right, i'm going to head to the men's rail i'm going to look through that knitwear and then you're kind of you're switched on it's like someone's plugged you into the kind of thrifting circuit the other thing is I saw the Celine jackets, £3,000. And I thought, God, yeah, they are. I mean, I collect those kind of blazers from Oxfam Online. And I went to Oxfam Online and I got one. Is it the same? No, it's not identical. Is it as good? Mm, probably. You know, I'm just saying, and it's an old St. Michael's. And, you know, I'll just do it that way, Thanks. I'll just do it that way. Thanks, I love that.
1: This is an advertisement from Better Help Therapy Online. Now you guys know that we're not shy about getting things off our chest.
2: The tiny inconveniences that can ruin our days to the big overwhelming worries that can flood our nights. Trouble is, we all got into the habit of saying I'm absolutely fine. Emily and I added the but specifically to get off autopilot and give ourselves the space to say what we were really experiencing.
1: But we weren't always so free with our inner furies. A few years ago, I began experiencing debilitating panic attacks because I felt I couldn't tell anyone all the things that I was feeling, that I was not coping, that I felt like a failure. I was so ashamed. So I kept it all bottled inside. And of course, it started leaking out. It was only when I found a therapist and began sharing those doubts and insecurities with her that the panic began to dissipate. Because
2: therapy can be a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. So, if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a registered therapist, and switch therapists any time for no additional
1: charge. With over a thousand therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise and our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com/midalt that's better h e l p.com/midalt better help. because sometimes the best thing to do
2: is acknowledge that we are not in fact absolutely fine
0: this episode is brought to you by sax.com at sax.com it's easy to find your new vibe Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com.
3: So Oxfam, how did you form your collaboration with Oxfam? It was really simple. I had done something with Joanna Lumley. Um, I got asked to do this thing called swapping and and it was this kind of this initiative and I spent the day with Joanna Lumley who was really nice really nice I was feeling quite shy so I don't know but she was great and so I met Oxfam and then and and I met Oxfam were there because it's an Oxfam initiative and um, and then I got a call about three months later saying oh we talked about it it was a conversation literally while we were waiting for Joanna to do something and and their head of press, Emma, who I work with now. Um, and she said to me, you know, or one of us said, God, it'd be cool to do a show. Anyway, move on. And then about six months later, I got a call. And it was Emma saying, you know, that conversation we had. This is in 2016, maybe 2015, 2016. And she said that conversation we had. And I was like, hmm, yeah, mm, no. Well, OK, well, let's meet. Mm. <laughs> and then we met and then it's, it's a funny and again it's that mindset shift of like thinking of being really like a bit scared of it I think and, when and you then shown, like, this
2: was a fashion show this
3: was yeah the- this is a big fashion show called fashion fighting poverty yeah and it was all using all second all oxfam clothes and anyway so to cut long story short I then you know shifted it and I was like oh that's really exciting yes please and so we did one and it was good and then we did another one and then we were about to do another one. It had to get cancelled two days before. And then we were about to do another one and the Queen died. So that got cancelled too. Mm. So we're doing another one in February. This February we're doing a, an, an, a big one in London, opening London Fashion Week, actually. That's, that's amazing. I think that's it's so that's fantastic, isn't great. it? Because it's so,
1: like, it's so... It elevates it. And also, and when you started doing it, it's quite radical in 2016 because
3: that's sort of quite a big, uh, fast fashion... That, I don't think people were that interested. I mean, I had to ask Oxfam, but I, I you know, it was... It was I have to get and basically like my family were all on the front row, like <laughs> but like none of my family. And that's not fair, like there were lots of like donors there, and lots of people from Oxfam, and there some press were there, but it was a really small venue, and it was it was just not on the radar, and it was not, I don't think it was very sexy. Uh, you know, Oxford was like people were into their fashion, big time, yeah. new fashion. It wasn't like it was very something other, and now it's, it's perceived differently. So you have to go
2: and you have to source. Effectively, the entire collection, yeah, and then style it and then send it out there. Yeah, it's funny. I wonder how many of the big designers are up against because they all work from vintage, don't they? A lot of the time, or from yeah, archive. they
3: do. Yeah, no, that's why vintage is another great thing. Is that you know you're going to this, you're going to the source of ideas, you know, which is interesting too for people to know that actually you're not getting second best. You're actually often getting something in its original form, which can be more kind of lovely or stylish how do you think
2: you know seeing as we've all this is not our first rodeo um how do you think that fashion has changed in the last or well, 30 years really since you you know put the toe yeah. in the water
3: oh, god is it 30 years I was, when you say 30 years i think god 1960s it's not, it's not it's not the 1960s no. it's very much not um yeah um how's it changed It's changed hugely. I mean, I would say fashion has really changed in the last, since Instagram. Really? Because it just took, it demystified what fashion was. Because before you'd have the Vogue issue, you know, you'd have two Vogue issues twice a year. And it would show the collections and that's what people would wear. You know, that was what was going to be, what was on the runway was the information. That was the very narrow kind of kernel of information that you would have. You know, to know what you know now. That's just not the case, and that's why fashion magazines are either not in existence or you know very very small. You know, kind of you know it's it's just changed massively because people you know and And TikTok because people saw with people saw what Kendall or Jenny were on their TikTok. People saw people saw pictures of Debbie Harry. People saw. I remember doing the story with Sophie Dahl as Debbie Harry, well, fifteen years ago. And, you know, I was looking through reference books and stuff. Now that still, people can look, knowing about Jane Birkin or Catherine Deneuve or Shelley Duval or movies from the 70s or, or Sissy Spacek in, in Badlands and all that kind of source that I was really into, you know. I, was re- I loved research and I loved movies and I loved drawing from that. And that was really exciting. I still do it, but it's for everybody now. It's amazing. Those actually. images are all on the surface. Like they come into people's feed every day. Freedom of Information Act, which is it's great. It's released it into the world, isn't it? Yeah, which
1: people are great. making lookbooks it changes on it. exactly lookbooks on TikTok, scrapbooks, you know, visual digital scrapbooks that would have taken us, you know, years of experience and whatever to compile. That they just do sort of almost instantly. They draw it from everywhere, and boom, there it is. And you can tap into. Okay, I feel like that seventies aesthetic, or even I feel like that nineteen seventy one aesthetic. It's almost that drilled down so
3: quickly on on the social it's extraordinary exactly exactly and it makes it much more democratic and it also makes it you know less exciting as a fashion editor yeah um but that's okay you know because uh, you know that's just the way it is and I, i think that yeah so it's changed hugely and people aren't governed by that it just makes the idea of this one particular magazine saying what's in fashion is just kind of just completely defunct i mean it just doesn't i'm not saying that vogue and those magazines don't have a voice and don't have a place and all of that i'm not saying that i'm just saying that thing of like saying what is going to be in fashion coming from one place is no longer true at all
1: yeah they can't dictate the trends and also because there's so it's so global and it's coming from so many different corners they can't control it either. Can no, because they? They it can't... used to be,
2: a, you know, trickle-down. Sorry to use that phrase, but trickle-down from Vogue. And now it's more of a, like, trickle-up, isn't it, from the
3: streets and from social media and, you know... You can exactly, exactly. agenda. Exactly. And that just opened up everything. The other thing that's really changed is the fact that this second-hand thing, which, again, always lent it, by definition, is a more independent, often a more independent way of doing things, I think, in terms of fashion, you know, finding things. So that's interesting that's changed a lot. It's
2: funny, isn't it? Because there was sort of, you know, there was like, you know, haute couture and high end ready to wear. And the high street was kind of, it wasn't in existence in the way that it is now. And then exactly. you didn't, you know, then you had your top shop getting all pumped up. Then you had Zara. So yeah. you, had, you, had, you had a lot of high street, you had a lot of expensive fashion. And suddenly it was like, well, maybe there's another way. Maybe it
3: doesn't have to be one yeah, of those exactly. two parts. Exactly. No, I, exactly. And I think that. You know, exactly. And what was really amazing was that in the last, I would say, two years, is that kids want secondhand. Secondhand is cool. And things only change mainstream when people want to do it out of a choice, out of a style choice. I think, yes, and this, the, the environmental crisis definitely made help make it a style choice. But fundamentally, it has to be, it has to be like a trend, mm. a legitimate yeah. trend. And, mm. and that's happened. That has shifted from ages having not had that. Of it being, it wasn't a trend, it wasn't a trend, it wasn't a trend, it was still alternative, and then it just went, and it just flipped. And all my kids, all my ki- all my kids, I have two, but all my friends' kids, they shop secondhand. And also for them, secondhand isn't vintage, is it? It's literally,
2: someone else didn't want it, I'll have it.
3: Exactly. It's different, exactly. Vintage is much more our generation. Yeah. Exactly. That's
2: funny, it's gone from secondhand to vintage, which legitimised it, because it
3: gave it a brand. Yeah. Back to secondhand again, which I is what was it actually is. I secondhand, I have to say. That was always because vintage always seemed always very. I used to be really anti the word vintage, which was silly. Um, but uh, vintage, you know, but it, now it does but, feel like rarefied, doesn't it? Yeah, well, and it, it someone like sourced it for yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. Like, and like I always minded that fact that no, 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 I sourced it. I go to the source myself. Yeah, which was silly. Don't you know, go to a vintage dealer and pay
2: two grand for a dress that she found in a market.
3: I mean, there is there were
2: you know there were vintage charlatans as well as vintage heroes, weren't there?
3: a bit yeah I don't know who those were exactly but yeah I mean yeah it just became I just wasn't yeah I just I was I loved the second hand and I liked going to the Salvation Army my my kind of heritage of it was in the market before I went to New York I'd go to the market and charity shops we loved it me Kira, Iris Palmer that's what we did so it was a tribal thing we did it and Iris had a house flat I was it a house on the Portobello Road and we'd all go there and you know, we'd been to a charity shop and then New York. And I think that um, I didn't go to the... There weren't really vintage shops, actually. There weren't any. There was one brilliant one called Resurrection. It was expensive, so it wasn't my thing. But um, I, I went to the Bronx and to the Queens and to Harlem. And I went... I really did go to, like, all the thrift stores. They were, I, I liked the thrift stores the Goodwill's. Mm. The cancer research. And what was incredible about New York was that you'd have the Upper East Side ones, and you'd go in and it'd be like old ladies in the in the Jewish council thrift store, you know, and then you'd go and I'd got amazing uh, Calvin Klein Coke from, I mean, amazing stuff. And then you'd go to the other cancer care on the Upper East Side and you'd find amazing old 80s Ralph Lauren, because it was the women who lived on the Upper East Side we'd go to their store, so you'd find found amazing amazing my favorite cushion in there my needle point i have upstairs of a bouquet of flowers and you know just like so many good things really a lot of things i don't have anymore but you know hey but um and then you'd go to the bronx you'd go to queens astoria queens and you'd get you'd walk in it'd be benny king really loudly and You know, like not seeing anyone in your kind of world from a different world. And I just loved that. I loved the kind of human experience. Personally, I loved it. And, you know, then I'd get original Velvet Underground t-shirts. I mean, amazing stuff, which I gave to a really good friend of mine who loved the Velvet Underground. But, you know, yeah, and like amazing punk rock tops. Like, I've got one from a part of an original punk one from New York in the 80s, 70s with zips here and zip, like, goth, like, amazing, like, amazing stuff. And I think that you know, so it was very rich pickings, but it was not vintage; it was secondhand. It sounds like you sprinkle all your things, like sort of fertilizer, all
2: over. You know that, but you know, Kate Moss has got the gold jacket. You should definitely give it back. You give the Velvet Underground T-shirt away, or and so, what do you do with the things that you find? Do you give them to people? Do you give them to Oxfam? Do you sell them? How do you put your stuff back into the sort of fashion, you know, jungle?
3: Oh, well, what I do is if I'm going to, a friend of mine, I went to stay with in New York, who loves vintage. So if I'm going to go and stay with her, I went to stay with her. I bought her two vintage Saint Laurent. So I love them as presents. So I'll get always vintage presents for people on the whole, on the whole, if I know the kind of thing they love. And then, yeah, I mean, Oxfam, I bought stuff from Oxfam. And yeah, I mean, the jacket that Kate Moss, I don't even know if she still has that. That was 20 years ago. Um, so I don't know if she has that. I mean, and then other things, you know, Anita Palenberg gave me a lot of, you know, lovely things because I would go around and she'd have a bout and I'd give her a bag and, and, you know, it was good vibes, you know, and I think that has second secondhand, you know, like Anita gave me amazing military mm. coat with big shearling sheepskin, like that fuzzy, sheep. and I don't know where some of them are, some of them fell apart and stuff, but. I think that with secondhand, for me, you know, I'm quite old school in that way of like, you know, I like giving it away as well. And I like receiving it. And so I do less of that stuff now, but I, I, have, I have given away a lot of things. I love that I don't I mind do, that. That all these things have their journey and you're not the owner. You're just, you know, you're, you're just... for now and actually that's a nice story because I did this big fair I did a fundraising sale with friends in April and someone gave this beautiful little diamond star necklace and Charlotte won it George Ward Charlotte Tilbury won it and then I loved it and someone said to George and Charlotte you know they really loves that (laughs) and and then George Charlotte, I love it you know whatever and then Charlotte George actually was like you know what they about six months later he's like they you know here it is I'm gonna give it back to you and my sister recently said god do you remember that necklace at the sale that Charlotte won and I'm gonna give it to her <laughs> and I love this thing of, and in a way that's like a thing of clothes and everything I, I think it's just really good vibes of like things going to different people at different points and you know it's not about buying a new thing and that Necklace my sister will really really love because it's kind of she's seen the journey that it's had and I really wanted it and then I'm like really like it actually got enough necklaces <laughs> and she you know I'm getting my point being that in a way that's a kind of that's just an example of like you know it's nice things being passed on yeah. and it's the way that it should be but and it's, it's the way that it always was in, in the olden days hand me downs you know it's nice the idea that we're not
1: owners that we're custodians you know that we're like guard we guard them for the time that we're supposed to have them because otherwise you, there's such a kind of possession like i possess this i own this is mine it's mine Agreed. and actually instead it's like i'm going to hold on to this for a bit and then actually you're going to look wonderful in it or whatever but it also wonderful.
2: recognizes that these are
1: precious things
2: yes and they shouldn't be you know made for and then chucked straight into a landfill exactly
3: exactly and also exactly and you yeah, know, I mean, trust me. I've got things that I love that I find hard to lend out. Yes, yeah. from my cold, dead hands. <laughs> yes, yeah, <got> exactly. <laughs> like try to get, you know, trust. My I'm precious.
0: Not, yes. Yeah, it's not all. It's not
3: all nice, you know. It, you know, I pick my things that I'm willing to yeah, it. You know, but um, I think that, and also that's why the rental company. And there's a really good rental company called Circlet, C E R C L E, um, which is she's got amazing Coco's the founder. She's got amazing vintage amazing like rare stuff because she has a lot of vintage like beautiful secondhand pieces and I think people are doing rather than just like getting the dresses from last year and I think that's a really interesting way of doing it as well and I think also like now and there's also friends of mine have started up a thing called the charity shop gift card which is so nice and so like I'll be giving that to my sister for Christmas which is like you know you get a good charity shop gift card and they can spend it anywhere in charity shops. And, and I just think that's a really... That's things so like cool. that,
2: you know, I know. I mean, that's, that, that's got children sorted, isn't it? No,
3: but it's great. And yeah. it comes, it says a charity shop gift card. Where do you get that? You can actually get it from Tesco's and Sainsbury's. What's really great is, and if you go to online's charity shop gift card and they're on Instagram, you can get it. But my point being that, like, yeah, for someone who loves secondhand, or even who, people who don't love secondhand... You know, it's a really nice present because yeah. it's an antidote again. And it's good to get people out into the charity shops as well. Yeah, Do you know what I mean? like, right, yeah. This is what I'm
2: choosing to give you. Yeah, particularly now, weird year, weird time. Let's try and do things a bit better. Yeah, but yeah, no exactly. less fun. It's a little but bit better. No less fun and no less beautiful.
3: Exactly. And it's a, it's a it's really nice way to, you know, it's a nice way to shop. You know, and that's why I love the work I do with Oxfam because, you know, it's second hand clothes, it's legitimately as fashion as anything else out there. As I said, fashion and style and clothes, it's all the same. Okay, so one might be new and you know, and produced and being sold. So what makes that different from Oxfam being as credibly credible in fashion terms? It doesn't and but then you're but the big thing is that you're giving the money to help the poorest people in the world. You're yeah. helping you're literally giving money to fight inequality in the world. That's what Oxfam's chief and also you're helping to fight climate change because the Oxfam, their project work is basically now has to be around climate change. And in, in East Africa, you know, uh, someone's dying every minute of salvation and that's to do with climate change. So it's, it's really like a very, very, very active thing you're doing to to try and help people who are absolutely in a terrible, terrible situation. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's very it's very powerful because it's easy to go yeah Oxfam Oxfam if you actually read anything about Oxfam and you see you read about the work that they're actually doing on the ground it's really like oh, yeah I, that's a really good thing because it's easy to forget because it's like you, you're so used to just seeing it but actually you know if you read yeah as I say you, it's very you know their project work is really amazing
2: yes and just to cheapen that for a second it means you get to you get to be an activist. By shopping. Exactly.
3: <laughs> but you're right. But Annabelle, that's, that is true. And yes. actually, that's really interesting because I had a drink with someone from Oxfam and uh, editor of a magazine, because we're, we're trying to do something for February Fashion Week to time with the show. And that's exactly what someone from Oxfam would say. It's a form of activism. So it's not just like a nice like, like word spin. It's true. Well, it's shopping that allows
2: you to feel good about yourself, not incredibly... Empty at the end of it. As you were saying, Emily, earlier, that you have this you know, unslakable thirst and hunger for new, 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 more, more,
1: more because think it's going to fix you. It's, it, shopping's never going to fix
2: you, but if you shop this way, you can fix some other shit.
1: Okay. It's also a little bit of personal activism as well because you're no longer defining yourself by rules that have been made by other people telling you how you should look and what you should wear. It's okay. about okay. It's, finding it's your good. individual. I don't want to say style cause, but you know what I mean and and Fashion saying actually style. this is what I want I to wear and it doesn't matter that it isn't, you know, as
2: Every time you wear it you feel a little bit proud because you've slightly written your own story. I think you? that's yeah. true. Yeah. And you've gone against capitalism. I'm like actually <laughs> right there we go revolution there yes, we are exactly. <laughs> genuinely feel inspired like I'm going to go online Oxfam online off we Let's go see, yeah. yeah beg on it you are a sensation yeah, really thank you so much for coming and inspiring us and being so sort of fascinating and brilliant about everything and oh, um, that's we're so incredibly grateful and happy oh, to have you on. Yeah, thank that's you so such much lovely
3: I mean thank you very much for having me <laughs> it was bye
2: everyone You've been listening to Annabelle Rifkin and Emily McMeekin of The Mid-Alt. Our book, I'm Absolutely Fine, is out now. If you like what you hear, please rate, review and subscribe.